Okay, so let's get started. Are you a good cook? And would you be willing to supply food every week? Do you have a swimming pool? We're looking for a place to have our life group. Craig says every group has an odd person. Do you think you qualify to be our odd person and why? Well, it's a great honor to have all of you with us today at all of our life churches and our partnering network churches. And those of you in countries all over the world on the other side of computer screens right now, you are a part of our family at Church Online. And today we're in the third week of a four-week message series called Friending. I want to dive right in today and start with our key thought and our key verse that we will visit again and again in this series. The key thought for our series is this. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me your friends and I will show you your future because you will become like those you spend the most time with. In fact, Solomon thousands of years ago said it this way. He said, if you walk with the wise, what will you become? All of our churches, I need your help today. He said, walk with the wise and become what? And become wise. He said, on the other side of the coin, that for a companion of fools does what? A companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, you show me your friends, and I will show you who you are becoming. If you hang around those who are passionate and positive, and faith-filled, you will become more passionate and positive and full of faith. If, on the other hand, you run around with people who are negative and critical and have bad attitudes, you're going to get sucked down to that level, and you're going to become more negative, more critical, and full of bad attitudes. You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Now, last week we talked about three different types of poverty. We talked about material poverty, which we all know what that is. A second time of poverty we talked about is spiritual poverty. You can have material wealth, but if you have no eternal hope, you are spiritually impoverished. The third type of poverty we talked about really jarred a lot of people. They're like, oh my gosh, I really didn't realize just how much of this third type of poverty that I actually experience. It's not material, it's not spiritual, but we talked about relational poverty, which is sweeping across the developed Western world. It seems the more financial blessings, the more material blessings people have, the more they are losing the blessings of relationships. And there's a lot of theories as to why. Uh, one of them, I believe, that in our society, we so celebrate and strive for independence. I don't want to depend on anybody. I don't want to need anything. I want to be independent. That we forget that to be independent is to be distinctly non-Christian. Because God did not create us to be independent, but instead to be dependent on him and on the people in his family. Jesus died for us and loves the church, and we together, or to serve one another, love one another, exhort one another, lift and love one another, to be independent is really to be distinctly non-Christian. In fact, even in our language, I believe sometimes we, we don't communicate the fullness 
of what God wants. In, in the church world, we'll say, and I've said this a million times, and it's very, very true, and that is you need a personal relationship with God, which is true, but it's also incomplete. Never just settle for a personal relationship with God because there's actually something even richer, which is a shared relationship with God. Wherever two or three gather together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. What's even better than experiencing God on your own is experiencing the glory and the power and the majesty and the goodness and the character of God in the context of a broader, deep biblical community. And yet the reality is so few people have that. In our culture today, we have so many external blessings, and yet so many people internally are relationally impoverished. Why is that? I did some research this week, and based on my research, I'll give you, in my opinion, the top three reasons why so many are relationally impoverished today. The first, if you're taking notes, uh, is because of increased mobility. We just don't stay in one place very long uh, anymore. The average American moves once every five years. If you're between the ages of 20 and 40, you move on average once every three years. It's really hard to have long-term committed relationships when we don't stick around. Number two uh, is modern conveniences. Think about this. I read a, a book years ago that said, that talked about how the air conditioner massively changed community friendships, okay? Uh, before the air conditioner, where did people hang out at their houses in the evening time? Anybody remember? Anybody remember? They'd hang out in the front yard, outside, right? Because it was cooler outside, okay? Everybody say, hey, how you doing? And you get to know your neighbors. Air conditioning came, and what happened? We're inside. Next modern convenience that changed neighborhood relationships was the attached garage. Some of you will remember, and if you look at older homes, there's detached garages. When they're attached, and with the invention of the garage door opener, now you don't have to ever wave at your neighbors. You can pull right up to your bat cave, push a button, open the door, pull in, and shut it, and you can live in the same neighborhood for years and never have to even talk to the people next to you. Modern conveniences. There's also now, I know a lot of you are, are too young to know what I'm talking about, but the answering machine changed everything. Those of you who are like my age or older, do you remember that to find out who was calling, what you had to do, this is stunning to those who are younger, to find out who was calling, get ready for this, you actually had to answer the phone. <laughs> like, I know it's crazy. I mean, like, uh, wow, really? Yes, you did. And then the answer machine came, and suddenly you could screen your calls. You have to wait there and listen. Beep. Hello, Craig, I'm calling. Oh, I'm not talking to them. And you could distance yourself. And the list goes on and on and on and on. In fact, one of the more uh, recent developments that's really changing society is the increase of individualized forms of entertainment. Individualized forms of entertainment. Think about it. Those of you who are kind of like my generation and, and older, back in the day when we were growing up, how did we play uh, and, and entertain ourselves as kids? What would you do? You go outside, and who would you play with? People. <laughs> kids. I know, I know, crazy. Now, what's more normal? Stay inside and play on your iPad or with your own video game, and there's not nearly as much social 
interaction. The third big challenge that's impacting relationships uh, is the rise of social media, which we've acknowledged has tremendous blessings. I, I use different forms and see great benefit from them. But at the same time, it's not just the same as face-to-face -face contact. And what one article said, it was a stunning line that just really grabbed my attention. The author said that social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. An epidemic of deferred loneliness. Think about it. You feel a little bit lonely, so you want to like, so you, you, you post something on Facebook, or you, you upload a, a picture on Instagram, or you tweet something, and then generally speaking, you get almost immediate feedback. Someone likes it. Oh, yes. Oh. Someone says, you look so good in your selfie. Huh. Yes, I do. <laughs> look so good. And, and you get this, this, this immediate feedback. The problem is you know internally how little it takes to double click on a picture on Instagram and keep on scrolling. And so it doesn't alleviate um, or eliminate the loneliness. What it does is it just defers it. It defers it. And so many of us were going through life with 400 Facebook friends, and yet no one we could call if we really needed to talk and reveal our hearts, and we got so many other blessings, and yet internally, deep down, when we're silent enough to think about it, we actually believe something's not working. We think something's missing, something's wrong. Something is not as it should be. Last week, we decided that it might not just be something that's missing, but it might be someone that's missing. This week, I want to say to you, it might not just be someone that's missing, but it could be a group of some ones. And our key thought for today, if you're taking notes, is this. You might be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You might be one group of strong, committed believers that you do life with together in the highs and in the lows. Those who lift you, pray for you, encourage you, and always have your back. You might honestly be one community away from changing your future family, from changing future generations, from changing your ability to make a difference in this world. You may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. In fact, I did an interview recently, and the interviewer asked me this question. I thought it was a great question. Uh, he said, if there's one contributing factor to your general success, maybe who your family is or what you've been able to do in ministry, what will be the greatest contributing factor? And without any hesitation, I said, the long-term committed relationships that I have, the people in my life, hands down, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I've been very blessed with very long-term, very deep, very committed, very intimate relationships. All the way down, if you take just our church leadership, we're 17 years of age, and for the last 14 years, this is extraordinary, and you will rarely find this in any organization. The top five leaders, we have not only stayed together, but we are absolutely incredibly close friends. We've grown from 1,000 people to 60,000 people. You do not grow through that kind of change with the same people unless you are incredibly committed to work through things. And I give God the glory for that very special accomplishment. 14 years of the same top Leaders, if you look at my non-pastoral friends, just my 
my regular friends, my top five friends, we've been friends for over 20 years. Every single one, over 20 years. Uh, some of us much longer than that, doing life together. But even more so, the real key beyond anything, I believe, is a group of people, a, a deep community that over a decade ago, Amy and I, along with um, eight other families, a total of nine of us, just got together and said, you know what? We're like-minded, we're the same values, we're gonna do life together. We're all homeschool families, and so we wanted to give our children a community to grow up in where we could help parent one another, where we could be there for one another, where we could share in the good times and hurt together and minister to one another in the bad times. In fact, I wanna just show you um, a couple of pictures. This was last week. One of the family members just, just built a new home after saving for years. This was us praying and, and dedicating the home. But here are a few of the kids. There's over 50 some odd in total because homeschoolers don't know about birth control <laughs> and they like to have sex and so this, that's a lot of the kids, although like three of mine aren't even there. And this was just last week, and this is a group that we've been doing life together with for well over a decade. In fact, I made just a short list um, in my notes of some of the things that we've done together as a group um, over the years. We've done more projects than you can imagine. We've remodeled each other's homes. We've helped landscape yards. We've cleaned up after storms a bunch of times because of where we live. Uh, we have given money to send others on mission trips when they couldn't afford it. Uh, we have given cars when uh, one family couldn't afford a car, probably five or six cars over the years we've given to those who were, uh, were in need. Uh, we funded adoptions. Someone wanted to adopt but couldn't afford it. We all chipped in, helped them to adopt. We've chipped in to cover funeral expenses uh, for those who couldn't cover funeral expenses. We've cared for one another's kids during illnesses. Uh, we've made more meals with pregnancies than you could ever count. Because there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of love and baby reproducing. We, we've taken vacations together. Every Valentine's Day, we have a banquet. Every Thanksgiving, we have a feast. We bring cakes to the celebrations, and we bring tissues to the sad times. We have done life together. The most stunning thing to me, if you think about it, is over a course of about probably 12 years, nine families are all still involved in the church. Every single one has a significant ministry to other people because they are others-oriented. Every marriage is not only together, but is actually very, very strong. And I'm not going to celebrate too early because we still have a lot of kids to raise, but I will tell you this with all integrity, of over 50-some-odd children in our community, every single last one of them are currently serving God in a very age-appropriate way. I don't know if you want to clap at any time, but I think that is incredibly extraordinary and special, and it did not happen by accident. What we have is a modern-day reflection of a first century New Testament community that you can read about no more powerful place in history than recorded in Acts chapter two, verse 42 and following. It said, these New Testament believers, they devoted themselves, it wasn't a half-hearted thing, it was an all-in, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In other words, it was community centered around Christ. It wasn't centered around soccer or around a neighborhood association. It was centered around Christ. Everyone was filled with awe 
and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers, don't miss this, were together and they had everything in common. You want to see love? Here's love. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In other words, you're in our family, you don't go without because we're family and we cover family. And that's exactly what we try to do today. Every day, verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, a picture of the church. They broke bread in their homes, a picture of the life group. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You may be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. But I promise you, you don't just stumble into, by accident, a community like this. You create it with the love of Christ in an intentional way as believers come together. So what I want to do is, because I know you want it and you need it, give you three qualities of great Christian communities. Are you ready for this? All of our church, are you ready? Give me the love if you're ready. I need to know if you are ready. I've been preaching all weekend long, and I need... A little bit of love, because I like when you're with me. Three qualities. The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. We have refrigerator rights. This is exciting. We have refrigerator rights. Think about this. If someone from my group comes over, they do not knock on the door, because they're family, they just come in. If they want something in my refrigerator, they do not have to ask. Because family, what I have is yours, what you have is mine. Think about how weird it would be, though, if we didn't know each other well and you invited me to your house. We would probably hang out in the living room for a while because that's where you hang out when you don't know each other real well. My house, you sit your butt up on the countertop if you're in the community. Okay? If we're hanging out there and I'm like, we're having a good time, and I say, hey, excuse me for a second, walk into your kitchen, open up your refrigerator, and start digging around, you're probably going to scratch your head. What's he doing? Make myself a sandwich? grab some fruit, come back in and sit down and say, oh, I should have asked you, do you want anything while I was up? Okay? <laughs> you probably won't say anything right there, but later on when you're talking to your friends, like, you're not going to believe what Pastor Craig did at our house. He just got up and helped himself to a bologna sandwich from the refrigerator. The reason that would be weird is because we do not have the intimacy and the trust and the depth of our relationship for me to have that right to do that without permission. But when your family... You do. In fact, this is what they had in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. We are such family that anything I have is yours. I would ask you this. Think about it. How many people outside your family have refrigerator rights in your life? Or think about it this way. How many other people outside your family do you have refrigerator rights in their life? I would say to you, if you tell me two, three, or four, you do not have all that God wants you to have. You are relationally impoverished and don't even know it. Because God doesn't want us just to have a personal relationship with him, but a shared relationship in a broader community where we're doing life together. If you ask me how many people have refrigerated rights to my home, outside of the nine families, there's probably another five more. You add up all their kids, there's probably 75 or so, okay? Honest to goodness truth. But I will tell you, it wasn't always that way. 
and you need, need to hear me on this. It wasn't always that way. Early in our marriage and ministry, we had almost no close friends. And one of the reasons is, back when I was in seminary, excuse me, back when I was in seminary, I had a, I had a, uh, a professor who taught us that you must always guard what he called the pastor's mystique. And he said, you can't be friends with the normal people because they need to see you as being above the man of God so they can receive from you. And so early on, we guarded the pastor's mystique. We weren't friends with the normal people, but guess what? It didn't work because the problem is he didn't realize we were normal people. <laughs> and normal people need each other. So we just kind of decided we're not always going to be Pastor Craig and Amy. Sometimes we're just going to be Craig and Amy, and we're going to open up our home, and we're going to take risks, and we're going to love and be loved, and sometimes we'll be hurt, and sometimes we're going to disappoint people, but the risk of not having that is far greater than the risk of having it. We must have that because that is how God created us to depend on him and to depend on each other. We have refrigerator rights. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. What is the quality of great communities? We also all have flawed feet. We all have flawed feet. Some more flawed than others. Okay, I fall in the more flawed category. But my wife Amy says that I have socially unacceptable feet. That's what she says. They're about this long and half of them are toes, okay? I can type 110 words a minute with my toes. They're, they are long toes. You will never see me with open-toed sandals. You just, you will not see it, okay? It's for your own safety. It's not going to happen. So whenever someone knocks on our door and we don't know who they are, if I'm hanging out in my shorts, which is kind of what I do, nothing else, Amy never says, oh, my gosh, Craig, get on a shirt. I don't want to see without your shirt on. She never says that. She says, put on some shoes now. Don't let them see your feet, okay? We all have flawed feet. Romans 15, 7 tells us this, and this is the power of community, that we're told to accept one another, flawed feet and all, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. And when we're accepted and loved in the context of a community, Paul actually says this brings praise to God. Isn't that great? When, when we love one another, this brings praise to to God. Now, I bragged on my group of friends a moment ago, and I told you all the great things about them. What I didn't tell you is that they all have flawed feet, every single one of them. All my close friends, they, they have very flawed feet. In fact, I'm just going to be real transparent about some of the flaws in our group. There have been more than one time that um, another guy in the group has opened up and said, I'm really struggling with lust and, and looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. Flawed feet. And we've held one another accountable, and we've prayed for one another, and helped them grow through those battles. More than one time, uh, one of us has lost our way and drifted from the family, pursuing some things that don't matter as much. And in the context of community, we've gotten in each other's faces and said, you need to get home and be a dad to your kids and be a better husband to your wife. You're, you're drifting, and we've made those corrections. There's been more than one time when one or two wives didn't even like their husbands. Sick of him, I don't like the way he's treating me. And we have encouraged one another and prayed for one another and helped take a marriage that could have failed and helped it to become strong again. 
I told you all of our children are serving God, and they are, but there are some times when we've had challenges with our children. And we had another mom in our community make a significant investment into the lives of one of my daughters. And I've had the honor of making significant investments into the sons of some of the others from this group. And it's amazing what happens when there's a challenge with a kid. And it's not just our challenge, but it's a community challenge where we together are going to pray and support one another into a better place. And I'll be real honest. There have been times where we just didn't really like everybody in the group. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. I mean, it's a spiritual principle. You get nine women together over an extended period, and something's going to break down. <laughs> Don't look at me like I'm not telling the truth. It's a principle. Well, she looked at me funny, and no, 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 you know, right? And then she says something to her, you can't talk to my wife that way, and then it's a challenge. But guess what didn't happen? Let me tell you what didn't happen. Nobody left the group. Nobody left the church. Well, bless God, if a Christian's going to act like that, I'm leaving this stupid church. None of them are Christian. None of them, especially Pastor Craig, because he leads the church. Okay? Nobody did that. Great thing about Life Church in many of our communities is you can get mad and you can leave your campus and go to another one. You can leave your church, but you don't have to. Kind of a cool thing. Now, those of you in Fort Worth or Albany, you can't do that yet, but hang on, there'll come a day. Okay? Nobody left. No Here, here's what happened is, since we were family, we stayed together. And when we were wrong, we owned it and apologized. And when we were wronged, we chose to forgive and work through it. And we became more like Christ because we stayed involved in his church, okay? We all have flawed feet. In fact, in, in Scripture, uh, there's any time there was someone who was crippled, who was born with a defect, um, some kind of challenge, it, people would say, oh, it's because of sin. They'd always be, oh, there must be sin. And that, that's what they would say. And, and, and so any type of, of crippled uh, b body part, they'd say it, it's sin. Well, there's an amazing story in the Old Testament about a guy named Mephibosheth who had an accident and he was lame in his feet. And so society rejected him. But the king had mercy on him and showed love to him because of another relationship. And there's a powerful verse in, in 2 Samuel 9, 13. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate where? He always ate at the king's table. And then it goes on to say he was what? He was lame in both feet. Don't, don't miss the power of this, okay? All of society rejected him, but the king accepted him. And he always ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. You know what? We all have crippled feet, but when you're at the king's table, guess what you don't see? You don't see the feet because it's covered by the table of the king. I don't know if you find the power in that, but we all come with our flawed feet, and we pull up to the table of the Lord, the king of kings, and we dine together and love each other, even though we have flawed feet. Someone ought, ought to cheer for that because to be accepted in that way is to bring praise to God. We have refrigerator rights. We all have flawed feet. And since we have unusual metaphors today, we might as well stick with it. And the third one is this. We fight lions. A great quality of Christian communities is together we fight lions. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to be alert and of sober mind because your enemy 
the devil prowls around like a what? All of our churches, let's say this, like a roaring lion. What is he doing? He's looking for someone to devour. Now, don't miss the connection between Satan, the lion, and the cat family. I just want you to see how Satan is connected to cats. It's a very direct link, and you can find it everywhere in life if you look for it. It's connected to cats, okay? So anyway, that's a side point. But we do have a spiritual enemy who wants to devour, to pick you off, to steal, kill, and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. Now, I want to show you a quick video clip, which really is a great picture of how we stand together as Christians. Uh, it's, about, it's got a little water buffalo in it, so we'll go ahead and watch this. Uh, this is a shortened version of one you can look at on YouTube. Uh, this, the lions are there crouching because that's what they're doing, and they're going to attack. Uh-oh, run, Forrest, run. And so he runs. Here comes the lions. Let's get this big one. Nope, he's too big. Let's find a little one. We'll take the most vulnerable one. And the lion picks off the baby into the water. Now watch as all the lions were going to attack this guy because that's what's going to happen. Satan's going to attack your family, try to pick off a kid, maybe you. There he is. He's vulnerable. But do not worry. He's going to live because the lions didn't realize that water buffalo stick together. <laughs> hey, little pussycat, you mess with one. You mess with all of us, and you don't mess with one because we're a community, and you know what we do? We fight lions. Run, cat. Run. Get out of here. You don't mess with us. Whoa! Take that, you stupid cat. Get out of here, you stupid cat. Get the heck out of here because we stick together. You want some more? You want some more? Don't mess with us because we outnumber you. And one by one, they run off the lions, and the little water buffalo lived to eat another day. Ladies and gentlemen, if water buffaloes can stick together like that, don't you think the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can? Don't you think we can stand together and we can fight and we can be in there with one another? Because when the enemy comes, we do not roll over. We stand up and fight because Christianity is not a playground. This is a battleground. And our enemy comes to attack, but we've got each other's backs. And we're in each other's sides. And we're going to stand up for one another. And we're going to pray each other through it. You do not go down without the support of others. You don't want to fight cancer alone. You don't want to hurt financially alone. You don't want a kid wandering off alone. What you want is you want the strength of the body of Christ standing with you, loving you, praying for you, encouraging you, and fighting with you. Because if you are alone, you are vulnerable. And some of you are vulnerable right now. You are one community away of changing the course of your destiny. And when you have it, it is so rich and so satisfying and so meaningful. And the non-believing world starts looking on going, Man, you see the way they love each other? I mean, man, they take care of each other. Like, they really care about each other. This is truly, I mean, I don't understand what they believe, but I want what they have. And suddenly Jesus' words come to life in John 13, 35, when he says, everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you do what? If you love one another. One of the greatest ways to let the light shine into the world is to love those within the family in such a contagious way that others want what you have. And suddenly you can say, 
not because we're good, it's because he's good and he's transformed us. And you can have that kind of love too. It's called Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much, he was willing to die. And because of what he did, that's why we are this way. Some of you, you don't have it. You've got relational poverty and you didn't even realize it. You are one community away from changing the course of your destiny but it's not gonna happen by accident. You've gotta be it to have it. Father, I pray that you would stir up your church, that we would be the church to love one another with your unconditional love. As you pray today at all of our different churches, I'm just gonna go right to cut to the chase and ask how many of you would say, I do not have that. I don't have a broad community who is there for me, and I recognize that's a significant need in my life. Would you lift up your hands right now, just all over the place? Put them back down, because I don't think I was really clear. I'm going to ask it again, because some of you are lying or not paying attention. How many of you do not have this? This isn't a game. We're not coming here to church to be entertained. This is in the presence of God, his word, what he wants to say to his church. How many of you do not have it, and you realize it right now? Lift up your hands, all of our churches. Lift them up right now. God, I thank you for those who are honest enough to say, I do not have that. I pray, God, that you would do what only you could do. Give them a divine desire to not just have a personal relationship with you, but a shared one. God, to know you in the context of a broader community. To not go to church, but to be the church. Loving one another, doing life together in a way that brings glory to you. God, I pray that you would you would create divine connections. God, even today, there might be some who would go share a meal together who may not have even known each other, and they may be one friend away from finding a community that would change the course of their destiny. God, help us to be a church so full of your love that others want what we have, that we could share the goodness of Christ with them. As you keep praying today at all of our churches, we've talked about relational poverty, you know what? material poverty is. There are some who have spiritual poverty. What I want you to understand is that our God is a relational God. He created us to show us his love so we could love him back. He is a relational God. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He, he, he would hang around the worst of the worst and he would love them, but he wouldn't leave them where they were. Our God is a relational God. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus. God in the flesh to reveal his heart and his character to us. Jesus, who was without sin, became sin on the cross, died. And on the third day, he rose again so that anyone who calls on his name would be forgiven. The sin barrier that keeps us from intimacy with God is removed. We could be filled with his spirit so we could talk to God and hear from God. At all of our churches today, there are those of you, you're gonna recognize, I do not have a relationship with God. You can be a churchgoer and not have a relationship with God, just like you can be a person who's never been at church and not have a relationship with God. But suddenly you're being drawn to him. What is that? That is his spirit who is here, who is drawing you right now, and you know it. It's time to turn from your sin and turn toward him and say, yes, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I want to know you today by faith. I give my life to you. 
That's your prayer today at all of our churches. You say, yes, I'm ready. That's why I'm here. I can sense it. This is my moment with God. By faith, I give my life to you. That's your prayer. Lift your hands high right now. Hi, all over the place. Lift them up and say, yes, that's my prayer. Here in the middle section, all three of you guys back here, right back over here, all three of you on this section, praise God for you right up here as well. But all hands right over on this side. God bless you guys. Others today, back both of you over here on this section, right back down here, both of you down this aisle, praise God for you. Way back over here. I just want to find your eye and just meet you eye to eye right here, sweetheart, in this middle section. Praise God for you. Others of you who say, yes, I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I want a relationship. I turn from my sins and turn toward God. Others of you today say, that's my prayer. Would you all pray with those around you? Pray, Heavenly Father, please forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again so I could follow you. Thank you for new life. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you and be faithful to you for the rest of my life. You've given me your life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, would you celebrate big? Worship God, welcome those born into his family today. Worship big, worship loud, thank God for his goodness.